Good morning, church. I trust you're doing well and abounding in the blessing of God. This morning, my message is called Divine Romance. And I'm picking it up from what I shared last Sunday. So before we get into the word, I would like you to pray and ask God to speak to you this morning. Thank you. Father, I pray that you will grant each one who listens to this message years to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring revelation in our hearts, Lord, to comprehend the magnificent truth that you bring to us through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this title, Divine Romance, may sound familiar to some because I have borrowed it from a book called Divine Romance, written by Gene Edwards. Now, in his book, he describes our relationship with Christ as a divine romance. Last Sunday, we saw that the only requirement that the bridegroom wants from his bride is love. So how do we get to that place of being loving, being lovers of God? I want to remind you that the gospel didn't start with us loving God, but it began with God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. It was God's initiative that reached out to you and me. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us with a proposal. Accept or reject him. That's the proposal. The Bible says in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. So if you've caught a glimpse of Christ's love, count yourself to be blessed because that's the beginning of a divine romance with him. Romans chapter 5 tells us how God has proved his love for you and me. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, so please pay attention to the verse that's on the screen. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not wait for us to be righteous and then die for us. He died for us even while we were sinning. We were hostile towards him. God demonstrated his unconditional love by putting his son Jesus on that cross as our sacrifice even when we didn't deserve it. Then it says in verse 9, therefore, since we are now justified. Why the word therefore? Speaking of God's love, because he loved us, he not only died on the cross as our substitute, he also justified us by his blood. Now the word justify means acquitted. The word acquitted means free from criminal charges, and that means we are not guilty. So Jesus takes a sinner, presents him blameless before God, acquitting him of all wrongdoing, 
Now, when we are in a courtroom, the two words that will alter our lives are guilty or not guilty. And we're standing there in the courtroom of God and anxiously waiting whether we will be condemned for the lives that we have lived. And then we hear the sweet words where Jesus said, not guilty. Not because we didn't do anything wrong, but because Jesus is merciful and in his mercy chose to declare us not guilty, acquitted. You and I are acquitted from all our wrongdoing. We walk out of that courtroom free from charges, liberated from the things that we have done. Now, I woke up this morning with this one word acquitted in my heart and I felt the Lord speak to me concerning many who are listening to my message this morning. You've been living with too much of guilt. You, have, you feel condemned every time you go to God in prayer. You rehearse your past sins over and over again and you have not accepted the love of God because Guilt has got the better of you. And God is speaking to you right now. God knows where you are. God sees into your heart. He sees there's a desire in your heart to enjoy his presence. But this one thing of guilt and condemnation is separating you from enjoying his presence. And I want you to know this morning, God is speaking to you. Yes, you, that you are acquitted. He may have been the worst sinner. You may have done things even last week and you're feeling miserable about it. But when you have received the forgiveness of God, you have also received the mercy of God. And the mercy of God speaks on your behalf saying you are acquitted. You are free from no guilt. Now there's no in-between. You're either guilty or not guilty. If you're guilty, then you face the punishment of the law. But if you're not guilty, then you're acquitted and you can live free from guilt and condemnation. Now, it goes on to say in that same verse 9, Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, you are made righteous. Who's it talking about? We were once sinners. Now, forgiven, justified, acquitted from wrongdoing, and now made righteous, brought into right relationship with God. How? Through the blood of Christ. How much more we shall be saved by him from the indignation and the wrath of God. How much more we will be saved from eternal destruction and separation. Now, I don't know what your family has said about you. I do not know how others have pointed their fingers and accused you of what a terrible and miserable life you've been living. But when you stand before God this morning, there is one called Jesus. He is standing on your behalf. The Bible says his blood speaks a better word. What is the word his blood is speaking? He's saying, calling out your name. You are acquitted. You are forgiven. You are justified. And you are declared righteous before Almighty God. 
You know, in the early days, Annie and I would do this marriage preparation course for those who were about to get married. And then after some time, we stopped doing that course because couples who came to us were so much in love with each other, they could not see any wrong. So when we would talk about handling conflict, they would say, what conflict? We never fight. We don't have a disagreement. You know, we love each other. And I'm thinking, how blind can love be? I mean, you can't. You can't see anything negative in the other person because they are blinded with love. So we stopped doing the marriage course. I mean the marriage preparation course because it was not getting through them. You know, how to handle conflicts, how to handle their relationship with one another. Everything was so rosy and nice in that period before getting married. They would say to us, Oh, pastor, he or she is just the right person God has given me. He is an answer to my prayer. And I wish it always remained like that. You may have heard me say this, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. And suddenly we wake up after marriage and our eyes open and we see all faults and nothing which we see was there earlier perfect. And so that's what love does. Love justifies. In the eyes of the person who loves, he, they see no wrong. And that's exactly what happened to you and me concerning our relationship with God. Jesus loved us. He died for us. He justified us. And in his eyes, he has declared us not guilty. He has declared us righteous. What a message. Now, just because the Bible says we are justified or declared righteous, it doesn't mean to say that we are transformed and we are all that holy. It doesn't mean that. It means that now when we come to, to God, we are 100% accepted by God because of Jesus. That's what righteousness is. It gives us a right standing. It justifies our standing before holy God because of Jesus. Now, when you are in the presence of God without guilt, without being falsely accused, then you can receive the grace of God to be transformed. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 10, 11 to 14, and you can follow me in your Bibles, or you can look at the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14. It says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. What is it referring to? Old Testament practice, where this priest had to stand, offer, offer sacrifices continually, but could never take away sin. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. You can say that in your homes, forever. He offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin forever. 
sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? No other priest in the Old Testament could sit down because their job was not yet complete. They had to stand. But here is one called Jesus, our high priest, offered a sacrifice forever, sat down, finished, complete. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The word sanctified means being made holy. So look at the two. By this one offering, he has perfected forever. That means he's established us forever in the presence of God who are being sanctified, being made holy as we begin to look at the goodness of God. This righteousness that we live, that we receive by faith is significantly different from the Old Testament where people had to be righteous based on fulfilling the laws and its requirement. But now in the New Testament, we're not justified by the law. We are justified by faith in Jesus who fulfilled the law. That's why righteousness of God gives us a right standing before him. In Colossians chapter 1, 21 to 23, it says, And you who once were alienated before we came to Christ, we were alienated, we were separated, we were enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Now, when you have difference of opinion and your relationship with another drifts, you need to be reconciled. Recognize me, reunited. So the Bible is saying we were alienated, separated from God. We were enemies, but now because of Jesus, we are reunited. We are, we are reconciled. We are now in talking terms, peace with God. In the body of his flesh through death. Why? Look at this. To present you holy. Yes. That's what the Bible is saying. To present you holy. And blameless. And above reproach. In whose sight? His sight. And there's no one more holier than God. And Jesus is saying. He reconciled us. Made peace with us and God through his sacrifice so that he could present us holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Only one requirement that we need to fulfill, and that's in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, continue. How? Grounded and steadfast. Don't move away from the righteousness of God. Be grounded in the fact that you are declared righteous. Be grounded. Be steadfast in your relationship with God. Let nothing separate you from the love of God. It says, continue. If you continue to look to Christ, if you continue to look at what he has accomplished on your behalf, you will be declared holy, blameless, and above reproach. He goes on to say, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. What is that hope? The hope is we are redeemed. The hope is we are reconciled. The hope is we are declared righteous. That's the hope of the gospel. 
freely, not by our works, not by our self-effort, but by the grace of God. So if you are wondering how will the bride of Christ get ready at his appearing, it will be by our faith in Christ's righteousness. Now, I don't know how you responded to last Sunday's word, but I thank you for the number of people who gave us positive feedback of how they were blessed with last Sunday's word. But I was cautious to bring this message because I thought some may think, okay, if Jesus is going to come and if I need to be in love with God, then I must start doing things that will please God. And if you go down the route of obeying the Lord to please God, you are moving away from what your good intentions are. We are established and grounded in the righteousness of God, puts us in hope to experience his love and his goodness. We will, we will see more of that as we continue this morning. Because Paul preached the gospel of grace, he often found it challenging to see those who had accepted Christ be, remain established in the gospel of grace. Because many people then and even today believe we are saved by grace, but we are sanctified by the law. Yes, God saved us by grace. We didn't deserve it. And they have no problem with that. But in order to be right with God, they need to go back to the law to be sanctified. And that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. Here's an example of this in Galatians. Paul preached to the Galatians. Many of them turned to the Lord. And after he had moved on, there were some believing Jews who came from Judea who had received Christ. And they said to these believers, Oh, we are excited you accepted Christ. But you, you need to be circumcised. Oh, and then you need to keep the Sabbath holy. Oh, and then you need to also observe the festivals. You need to fulfill those rituals. Why did they do that? It's because they were used to relating to God through the law. So now, even after accepting Christ, they cannot give up their old habits of, of religion. And that can be true for some of us today. We've gone into a particular ritual in the way we relate with God. Now having accepted Christ, we go back with the same rituals. You missed the point. You missed the, the, the significant uh, uh, experience of enjoying the goodness and the grace of God. Now when Paul heard what happened to the Galatian um, Christians, how they turned away from the gospel of grace, he was furious with them. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, You fools! Who has bewitched you? What kind of witchcraft has been done to you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? He says, What are you doing? You be so foolish. And he asked them a very relevant question. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by hearing your faith? How did we get born again? Did we get born again by observing the law and all those rituals? Or did we get born again by hearing the gospel, by faith? He says, are you so foolish? 
having begun in the spirit, as you now being made perfect by the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So, you know, we put ourselves under such guilt and condemnation, trying to please God in our effort, trying to please God in our own ritualistic way. And in the end, our effort is all in vain. We've suffered so many things all in vain. And I identify with the Galatian Christian because I too at one time was in that place. Having experienced the love of God, having experienced the transformation of God in my life, I thought, wow, I want to, I want to be good on, on my best behavior. I want to please God. And the way I thought I would please God is by my effort. And I would wake up early morning, read the Bible, pray for hours, try to witness, do all of those things. Thinking that now God must be pleased with me. I want to remind you of this. The Bible says all our righteousness is like filthy rags in his eyes. And so the more you put your faith in what you do and you think you're being righteous by the things you do and don't do, you're only producing filthy rags. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's true. And that's what the Bible is saying. Filthy rags. Has no, has no importance in the eyes of God. Why? It's because you and I, us, as long as we are in this world, we will never, never, never be able to meet God's standard of holiness in our strength. Remember what we learned in the keys to victorious living. Sin is not the presence of evil. It's the absence of holiness. And so we will always be falling short of God's holiness. And that's why only his righteousness can justify us before Almighty God. I'm not saying all those things are not good. I'm saying all those things don't justify us before God. There are things that we do to bless ourselves, to strengthen ourselves. And not to earn brownie points in the eyes of God. Now, we're going to get to a very interesting part of this scripture in Romans chapter 7. Now, Romans chapter 7 is not very easy for us to understand, but I'm going to break it down for you. Because there's something very important for us to understand. The tension between the law and the grace of God, which brings the righteousness of God uh, to us. Now, in Romans chapter 7, it can be very confusing because Paul begins to talk about a husband and wife relationship. But as we read on, he's actually talking about our relationship with Christ, our new husband. So that's the relationship. Not actually talking about a marriage between husband and wife. He's talking about our relationship with Christ. In that chapter, Paul compares our relationship with the law as a taskmaster with Jesus who's a loving husband. And when we look at Christ as a loving husband, 
when you can't help but fall in love with him. So this is how we grow in our love for the Lord. It says in verse 1 to 4, Paul is talking about the legality of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And then in verse 2 it says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Now according to the law, the law, the vows that we make, it's binding and that is a binding relationship between a husband and wife as long as they live or a husband lives. But there's only one way for a wife to escape. And that is if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. Now, please keep in mind, this is not actually a husband and wife uh, relationship. It's just using it to define our relationship with Christ and with the law. Now, Paul compares that to us being bound to the law, just as a wife has been bound to her husband as long as her husband is alive. But unlike her husband, who would die one day, the law is never going to die. Because the law is good on one hand, but it's never going to die. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not, not one jot or tittle will be by no means passed from the law till it's all fulfilled. So Jesus is saying everything will be fulfilled. It's not going to be passed. It's not going to pass away. So what do we do? We're now married to the law. That's how we were. And some of us are still are married to the law. But unlike a husband who dies, this law will never die. So I'm going to call the law Mr. Law because we are married to Mr. Law. And in our marriage with Mr. Law, he only gives us instructions, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Constant instructions. Doesn't help, but only gives us instructions. He is like a husband that follows you around, reminding you over and over again, you did that, you're guilty. You did that, you stand condemned. Terrible husband that the Mr. Law is. And if you don't obey him, you face the punishment for it. What's even worse, we can't even divorce Mr. Law and get married to another as long as Mr. Law is alive. So the only person who could really help us is one who is madly in love with us. Who is so much in love with us that is willing to go to any extent to fulfill the demands of Mr. Law so that we can be rescued and married to another. It is in that context that Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, what is that therefore for? 
comparing a husband and wife relationship with our relationship with the law. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. Who is the another? Jesus, our lover. Jesus, who, who sacrificially stood in our place to redeem us. Raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Now, since the law was never going to die, Christ being our new husband, fulfilled all the demands of the law so that Mr. Law will have no longer hold on our, our lives. The law was fulfilled in Christ. Met all the demands. Took all the punishment that we were supposed to take because we failed to live up to Mr. Law. Why did Christ do that? He did it so that we will be married. Now, that's the point I was trying to make last Sunday. Our relationship with Christ is a marriage. It's binding. It's about love, commitment, and sacrifice. It's about a loving bridegroom with a loving bride. And so Jesus died on our behalf, and in dying on our behalf, we also died to the law. So when we are married to the new husband, Christ, we find out how amazing he is. He wants us to be fruitful. The law, not like how uh, was not like Christ. The law was important. It couldn't produce life. It could only say, thou shalt not steal. That's it. No life. Now, if thou shalt not steal can redeem us from stealing, that would have been a wonderful thing. If thou shalt not commit adultery, just hearing those words could take away the desire for adultery. Brilliant. It would have been good. Mr. Law would have been very efficient in transforming our life. But unfortunately, it couldn't. And that's why Galatians 3.21 says, For if there had been a law which could have given life. See, when you look at the law, it only accused, uh, accuses. It only brings condemnation. It tells you the standard that you should meet, but doesn't help you to meet that standard. It cannot produce that life. Truly, righteousness would have come by the law if the law could have done it. But now, having been married to Christ, we should be fruitful for God. When a woman has remarried, she takes time to get adjusted to a, 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 a new husband. In the same way, we've gone so accustomed to relating to our ex, Mr. Law, that now, having come into a new relationship with our new husband, Christ, we must make the difference. We must make the change. We must recognize Christ is not like our ex. He is full of life. He is one that you could relate with. Let's look at verse 6. But now having been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That means when we are following Christ, we do it in the newness of spirit. 
what spirit? The Holy Spirit. Now, I said this, there is actually no comparison between Mr. Law and the darling of heaven, Jesus Christ. Absolutely no comparison. Christ is a being. He's a person. Christ not only uh, redeemed us, he gave us his Holy Spirit to help us in our walk with him. The Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. And so it's saying, we learn to relate with Christ. We learn to relate with God to the newness of spirit and not to the Old Testament letter. The law held us bound, but the Holy Spirit set us free. Christ set us free. Mr. X was, person, was impersonal, but Christ is full of feeling and full of love. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, a living human being. The last Adam, referring to Christ, became a life-giving spirit. So when you come to Christ, he doesn't give you a new set of laws to say, oh, now you come in relationship with me. These are the rule number one, rule number two. Rule... No, he gives us life. He gives us a Holy Spirit. He imparts life to us. How? We are transformed. I will show you in a minute that when you come to Christ, things change. Our emotions are engaged with God because he's a life-giving spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to fulfill the righteous demands of Christ. That's why the Bible says the fruit, the character of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. What happened? In our relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit manifests the life of Christ through us by the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, fruit, one, fruit, many qualities. Church, if there is anything we need, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Spirit of God in our lives. He is the only one who could pull us out of that mess. He is the only one who can give us hope. That's why the gospel of grace is a gospel of hope. Not a gospel of condemnation, but a gospel of hope. I suggest that if you're struggling in areas of your life, you stand before God with an open heart and you say, Jesus, you are there for me. You repent and receive his forgiveness. He gives you a right standing before God and say, Lord, only you can help me. His spirit can impart life to you. In Galatians chapter 5, the same chapter 18th verse says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The Holy Spirit will take you beyond the law. For example, in the Old Testament it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the standard. The Holy Spirit comes, takes us beyond the law and says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. You commit adultery. Who gives us that grace? The Holy Spirit. Who gives us the grace to love? The Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ imparts that life to us to be loving, to be kind. He is a life-giving spirit. 
And this is how Paul understood his relationship with the Lord. It says in Galatians 2.19, I, through the law, died to the law. We can say the same thing. I, through Christ Jesus, have died to the law. Please, if you never divorced your ex, please do it. You can't be flirting with the law and flirting with Christ. It doesn't, you get messed up. You mess up. You won't know who to obey. Leave it. You're divorced. You, you died to the law the minute you recognize Christ as your savior. He's dead. He can shout as much as he can. Don't listen. As you look to Christ. That's why the Bible, one of my verses, one of the verses that, that brings joy in my heart, it says, blessed is the man who God does not impute sin to, does not, you know, condemn, blessed. Doesn't, he doesn't look for an opportunity to accuse us. There in Psalm 103, it says he does not repay us according to our sinful deeds. That's the Christ that we're looking at. Let me come back to Galatians 2.19. It says, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, it's no longer the self that lives, but it is Christ living in me. Now, you may have heard me say this a number of times. The Christian life is not about you living for God. The Christian life is about your union with Christ where his life is lived through you. And that's what the Apostle Paul saying. I've died to the law. I'm done with that. He was a Pharisee. He was the one who observed the law. Now he says, I'm done. I'm over with it. I found a new husband in Christ. I found life in Christ. He says, the one who lives in me, the one who lives in you. Is Christ. Christ. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Is lived by faith in the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. So Paul's righteousness. Didn't come by obeying the law. It came by walking by. In faith. And, and the spirit of God. Giving him the ability to be transformed. So when I talk about the law. I'm talking about the moral law. The ceremonial law. And the ceremonial laws. It's done with. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Three words. It is finished. What did he mean? He meant that all the rituals, all the detachments the law had over us that brought only condemnation, that held us in captivity, it is finished. Over. No more of those sacrifices. Nothing but the one sacrifice. Jesus presents us Holy, blameless, above reproach in God's sight. That's enough. Galatians chapter 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in me. He, he goes on to argue, look, if righteousness could only come by the law, then there was no use of Jesus dying. It was just in vain. There are many Christians who are still married to the law. And so their Christian life is like a roller coaster. They're trying to please their new husband, Christ, by obeying the old ex, the law. Doesn't work that way. If you want to please your new husband, Christ, then be devoted to him. Look at what happened in John chapter 8. 
Now, this is typical of the Pharisees or those who are held by the law, or governed by the law. They caught this woman, who, they brought this woman rather to Jesus who was caught in adultery. And they put her in the middle and asked Jesus, what do you say? This is what the law says. Stone her to death? What should we do? Jesus never answered them. He sat, wrote down, uh, was writing on the ground. We don't know what he was writing. And then he looks up and he says to them, He who has no sin, throw the first stone. Now, that's a challenge. None of us, no human being, can say we are without sin. And so one by one, they all left. What did Jesus do? He says, Neither do I condemn. Look at the loving grace that we experience. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Just because we are acquitted from our wrongdoing, it does not give us the license to go back and do the wrong. Please hear me. That's cheap grace, and that's not the grace that the Bible talks about. It talks, the grace that God talks about is about imputed righteousness. It's imputed, it's given to us so that having a relationship with God in that right standing, we'll receive the Spirit of God that transforms us from glory to glory. Coming to the end of my message this morning. And this is a vision that God gave Zechariah concerning the high priest. Please listen to this carefully. Then God showed me Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Now, you know that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And if you go by the law, Satan will be sure to come and use that law to accuse you before God. And so here was Joshua standing in the presence of God and then Satan going and condemning him right in the presence of God. And the Lord said to her, Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Listen, Christ, the Lord, God rebukes Satan. He says, I've chosen him. Who are you to condemn him? Verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angels. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I've removed your iniquity, I've removed your sin from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. You identify yourself like that? You stand before God morning after morning? Every time you want to talk to God, worship God, you hear the voice of an accuser saying, you did that. You didn't do that. You could have done much better. That voice is not the voice of a conscience. It's the voice of Satan accusing you before God. And I want you to recognize that voice is something that the enemy is 
deliberately putting in your head to nullify your effectiveness with God or your relationship with God. The Lord rebuked Satan and says, I will clothe you with rich robes. I clothe you with robes of righteousness. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And I felt the turban on the head is girding your mind with thoughts of God's goodness, God's forgiveness, not allowing guilt, not allowing condemnation, not allowing hopelessness to get the better of you in your mind. Put that turban on, the turban of God's righteousness, the turban that you're acquitted, the turban that you're forgiven and cleansed as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. It's so nice. To clothe our mind with the righteousness of God. So they put a clean turban on his head. And they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by and watched. Wherever you are in your home. I trust this message has been a meaningful message to you. How can we be lovers of God? How can we have a divine romance with him? Is learning to see Christ, our new husband, in the light of his love, his grace, his kindness, the way he imparts life to us. Worship him. Thank him for who he is. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, grounded, steadfast, in your relationship with Christ, there is no condemnation. Who walk not, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Please make sure that you're walking in the Spirit. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're entertaining thoughts that the Holy Spirit would have in his mind. You can have the same thoughts. It says the mind that's in line with the Spirit will lead to life and peace. So you have an indicator whether you have the thoughts of the Holy Spirit or not. Your mind in line with the Holy Spirit will lead you to life and peace. So, church, I would like us to close our eyes and pray. And you know where you stand. I want you to renounce the guilt and the condemnation that's plagued your uh, mind. I want you to receive that forgiveness. I want you to know that you're, divo you're divorced from the law. You've died to the law. And all you've got to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God says. Look at Jesus. By looking at him, you are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. All this is in the scripture. And so take the moment to look at Jesus. Believe. Let your faith be anchored in him.